I'm going to step off the limb now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. There it is, just over 50 years ago, Neil Armstrong's famous line as he stepped off the Eagle, the lunar module, onto the surface of the Moon. A line which he messed up, by the way, but that just made it even more memorable. So, welcome to the first episode of Angles, Angles on Science, Faith and Culture. I'm Chris Mulheron and I have the auspicious privilege of hosting this little pod show. I lead a complicated life, you don't really want to know all the gruesome details, But let's just say I'm an Anglican minister, I teach a bit of philosophy, and I run ISCAST, a.k.a. Christians in Science and Technology here in Australia. Today on Angles, we're featuring someone who we hope will be a regular guest, the Archbishop of Melbourne and Primate of all Australia, the Most Reverend Philip Freer. Hi, Chris. Along with the Archbishop, we have two other guests on the show. I hope they will give the Arch a run for his money as we get into earnest discussion about the moon and science and Anglican moonshots. Where is the Anglican Church going and does it matter? Amy and Jacob, welcome to the first episode of Angles on Science, Faith and Culture. I hope you're looking forward to talking about science, faith and culture. Hey, Chris. Yeah, I certainly am. Jacob, how are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to becoming an avid listener. Excellent. Now, Jacob, you're a science student at Melbourne University. Is that right? That's correct. What year are you in? So, second year. I'm looking to major in mathematics and hopefully head on to a medical degree. Excellent. Amy? Um, Well, I'm thinking of taking a gap year and hopefully going to Ridley for a bit to study the Bible and then maybe do commerce or commerce arts or I don't know. We'll see where I go. Okay, great. Go well. Archbishop, Do I, I, I think we need to sort out a sort of question of protocol. You're known as the most reverend Philip Freer. Now, as all good Anglicans know so well, which I say tongue-in-cheek, actually, the reverend bit means that you're ordained as a priest or a minister, and the most bit means that you're an archbishop. Now, what about your escalation to being the senior archbishop in Australia, the primate? Shouldn't we call you the extremely most reverend or perhaps the most most reverend? I think only the, uh, the most um, tragic enthusiast in those things would probably go down that track, Chris. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be losing some of your listener base if we uh, go, go too far down that way. Okay, okay. So we're done with protocol then. Archbishop it is. Now let's, let's ask you a few more questions. Let's uh, get to know you a little bit. Uh, I think you grew up in humble circumstances in Queensland. Is that right? Uh, not as a Christian believer, I think, maybe? Oh, well, I grew up in, uh, grew up in uh, Queensland, in Brisbane, and I came from a, um, a family that uh, certainly, uh, in some parts, I was, uh, they, they had, had uh, as I've come to learn, great Christian piety. Uh, but in the era that I was born, my, um, uh, it, it was all a bit more complicated. So I was uh, uh, formally brought up as a Roman Catholic, but without going to a Catholic school. And so, I, you know, I had a kind of, a, I didn't have a, a deep, um, deep formation in Christianity, even though I was taught to say the Lord's Prayer and pray on a daily basis. And uh, my, even my state school was a place we'd, we'd say prayers and sing hymns on our school assembly, things that would be probably unimaginable in a, a government school in Australia now. So um, I think there were different times, and it was certainly uh, an environment where 
the the whole society was much more about the the Christian formation. But I I had uh, always uh, an interest in uh, in prayer and the Bible, and um, came as a, a young adult in my early twenties to really uh, grasp that and seize that as a as something I wanted to to hold for my myself and be a an active disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, you went into science. You studied science. Is that right? I did. I did a science degree in biology and environmental science at what was then the Queensland Institute of Technology, now called the Queensland University of Technology, and then and then went on to uh, do an education diploma at the Queensland University and became a, a science and math teacher in Queensland. My first teaching appointment was in Torres Strait on Thursday Island, and then uh, from there went down to Western Cape York. Uh, for two years at Kawanyama and uh, then to Yaraba, another Aboriginal community near Cairns. And then the fifth year of my teaching career, which was only five years long, I uh, became um, an advisory teacher traveling around Cape and Gulf Aboriginal schools teaching um, uh, as an advisory teacher in science and maths. Mm. They're two different worlds, aren't they? The world of uh, Yaraba and and Indigenous Northern Australia and Bishop's Court here in East Melbourne. Are you... Comfortable in both places. Well, I think you you um, you learn uh, learn some things, and I think on the way, probably from some of my experiences, you learn some um, cross cultural uh, skills. So, um, you know, in, in in a sense, we're always crossing crossing cultures to communicate with people, and sometimes it's really obvious, and we're alert to it because we can. Yeah, the difference is very demonstrable, but in other circumstances, where we're needing to do it, even if we're not aware of it, and often. Uh, in the modern world, I think there's a lot of crossing cultures between generational uh, values and ideas uh, as much as there are from uh, language and ethnic uh, differentiators. So I think that I've been blessed to be able to learn some cross-cultural skills and uh, apply those to the different places I've been called to serve. Excellent. Now, Jacob and Amy, I suspect you might have a, a question or two, an odd question or two, shall we say, or a straight question or two. What would you like to uh, know about the Archbishop. Obviously, you know, you have a grandson because he's in my youth group and I'm his youth leader. Um, but yeah, I was wondering how do you fit in, like I assume being the Archbishop is a, quite a busy role. So how do you fit in family into this role? Well, I often say that I don't know if my life is any busier than anyone else, but I think it's more scheduled. And uh, even as I was coming here today, I was working on my uh, forward uh, schedule into uh, all of next year, then a bit of overlap into 2021. So I have a fairly scheduled life, you know, sort of scheduling in times for uh, for family and uh, opportunities like that. And they're, they're very precious opportunities. Um, I wanted to ask about your experience teaching um, and I guess I'm chucking us right into the bit about science and faith, but did you have any of your students who tried to disprove the existence of God using science? Well, I don't think so. No, the uh, all of my teaching was in um, remote Aboriginal communities, and they were they were generally, uh, you know, quite um, well at least you know quite spiritual people, and um, and and generally culturally quite. Um, strongly Christian people, and some of them were quite observant Christians. So I don't think that uh, that occurred to them. Uh, but it was important in, in my teaching so to, uh, I think, to, to link things within the experience of students uh, with uh, teaching, especially in, in the area of science. And uh, vaguely related to science and biology, um, yeah, you mentioned one of your titles is a primate. Uh, so I was wondering, how do you get that title? What does it mean? Uh, why are you named after a monkey? Yeah, it sounds like a bit top banana, doesn't it? But <laughs> yeah. um, 
it's kind of uh, you know first um, first amongst things really I think you know if primates the uh, us and the monkeys are uh, uh, first amongst the uh, the animal kingdom uh, uh, it, it comes from the thing that we are the uh, the leading uh, the leading bishops in the different national churches of the Anglican Communion but yes I often get a um, get a few good digs about that that's um, that's a good one. Archbishop, I wonder if we might move on and talk about the moon. It's just gone 50 years since Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin planted human feet on the moon for the first time. I remember it well, young as I was, watching it on a black and white TV with the hard-to-hear voices and Neil Armstrong's famous muffed line. Do you know his, do you know his fumbled line? Well, I remember it well because I heard it. It was one of the, the rare occasions my mother let me stay home from school. I was in year 10, and I think she thought this was such a significant thing that she said, look, you can stay home today. And uh, that was – so I, I remember, you know, having – just sitting in a similar thing, black and white TV in our lounge room, and, uh, you know, it seemed to be pretty sketchy. But, uh, yeah, well, I think he, he had intended to say, referring to himself, this was a, a small step for a man, but he uh, dropped the – out and just said small step for man uh, you know giant step for mankind and so uh, whatever he said at the end it's the memorable thing and no one ever ever goes back to what he might have said let's hear it again that's one small step for man Archbishop Philip, our listening audience may not have seen your article about the moon in the August edition of the Melbourne Anglican. Uh, why don't you tell us, first of all, tell us what the first food eaten on the moon was? Well, this is quite remarkable because the, the first thing was uh, that um, Buzz Aldrin uh, took out some of the Eucharistic elements of bread and wine, which I think had been consecrated back in, in the US at his home church, a Presbyterian church in the United States, and he had permission from the leadership there, and he consumed uh, the, the elements of the Eucharist on the moon. And amazingly, this was at the time repressed by NASA because they were under uh, some sort of an attack for uh, being too uh, religious in, uh, because it had already been in an earlier Apollo mission around the time of Easter, you know, fairly religious sentiments expressed by the astronauts as they went around the world and they wished the world, you know, the blessings of Christmas. So even in those days, which is a long time back, the, there, were, there, were, there was someone quite vigorously attacking NASA and they said, whatever you do, we're not going to broadcast this. And so it remained rather a, a, a hidden uh, fact and it's good that we can open it up and understand how important that was uh, for Aldrin. Mm-hmm. Now, your article in the Melbourne Anglican also led into uh, you commenting more generally about science and faith issues, didn't it? Why don't you lead us into that conversation? Yeah, well, I think that um, there's, uh, there's a lot of kind of false dichotomies we, we probably do set up, and, um, and it's probably a bit cultural, and I think a lot of it does come out of the, the U.S., where there is, uh, in some places, a hostility towards Science. I, I had uh, I hosted at St Paul's Cathedral some years ago uh, a service of um, an anniversary service for uh, the publication of Darwin's The Origin of Species, and it was an international conference held at Melbourne University at the time, and some people miscast were involved, and um, some of the Americans were shocked. They said, "Look, well, we we just get kind of Christians uh, opposing our grants and wanting to shut us down. We're really." wonderfully happy but also shocked that a, a Christian church and a church leader would want to welcome us to celebrate 
something that's been so important in the development of uh, biological science, like Darwin's The Origin of Species. So I think we've, we've got a bit of a cultural take at a superficial level of um, a false dichotomy between science and faith. Uh, I mean, I think at the end of it, scientia is about knowledge, and I think we have uh, knowledge which informs our, our life and our actions in different ways, and I think that both faith uh, and science, as we receive it, are uh, valid ways of us inquiring more deeply into reality and the truth. Let me ask you, Jacob and Amy, what do young people in your circles think about the relationship between science and Christian faith? Um, well, I've often had discussions with people at school where they've thought that science um, can be used to disprove the existence of God. Uh, for example, if we can prove that the Big Bang actually happened, that somehow proves that this is all just an accident. Um and I'm not sure where those ideas stem from, but it's always interesting to have those kinds of discussions. In year 10, actually, I had the opportunity to write an essay in class where I talked about the relationship between science and faith and how well they work together. And, um, yeah, I didn't get any backlash from that. People seemed quite interested. So that was good. Mm, yeah, uh, I think it's a bit similar for me. I remember through high school, the general vibe was that uh, people or our science teachers especially seem to be quite um, set on the idea that science and faith couldn't work together. So I remember watching a documentary in probably year nine science where the teacher basically showed us, yeah, this, this doco about how um, all religions were very much the same and uh, that, you know, basically saying Christian faith is, is just the same as um, astrology or, or these sorts of things. And um, even now, um, I think not just the the media or whatever, but I uh, recently had a few conversations with a friend who at uni who was just like, oh, how come you're doing a science degree at university? Like, how do you do biology? Because surely you don't believe in evolution because that was sort of um, his experience of Christians and, and those people. So it opened up a really good conversation there. For, for me to have um, with him, but there's definitely lots of, I guess, misunderstandings going around, um, both within uh, Christian circles and, and not Christian circles as well, about um, how science and faith work or apparently don't work together. Yeah, I think we have um, in, in science, um, especially in experimental science, the, the whole idea of the repeatability uh, of, of something to demonstrate the, uh, its truth. But I think we've also got some concepts which come out of quantum physics uh, about the idea of singularity. And I think there is much more in, in Christian revelation where if you understand uh, some of the things that we speak about as quite um, central points of our faith, like the incarnation of Christ, uh, th th as matters of, of singularity rather than repeatability, we often, it depends on the, on the kind of the construct. But I think that often uh, some of the criticism uh, is not very... Um, is, is not probably very respectful either of science or of uh, religion. You can kind of get a, a hybrid, which is a, you know, kind of a cultural, a cultural disposition of bias. Yeah, well, I think um, at school it seems that it's a bit easier to just focus um, on one thing as being true, like science or, um, yeah, what we're learning at the time. When discussions get opened up about something like, well, why are we actually here or what's our purpose, 
um, seeing as many of the teachers are still trying to figure that out from themselves, it's kind of easier to kind of shut that conversation down and just concentrate on the here and now and, okay, we're actually learning about this in the textbook. This is science. This is what we know is true. It's a bit more comfortable. I think that might contribute to why sometimes science and faith are pinned against each other because it's hard for someone who is so focused on science to suddenly be rethinking their whole entire existence. It's a lot easier to focus on focus on something that's like tangible. Yeah, I think we've we've often, um, especially in the the period after the Second World War, been very optimistic about science and thought that uh, the pursuit of scientific knowledge and its uh, application would only lead to good. And we've seen many examples of that of that good happen. Uh, you see in, you know, many diseases which are now treatable. You see uh, uh, many instances of higher crop production. You know, you see, you see things which are good. We, we, we enjoy it. This digital technology we're using here is all a product of the application of, of scientific knowledge. But I think we also know that, that just um, uh, pursuing ideas and applying them uh, without other things can be destructive, like atomic weapons or uh, the effects of uh, climate change. Uh, you know, all, all these things can be. Um, there, there's a value basis underneath them, and I think in some of that that value basis, there is this uh, deeper question of the, um, you know, who we are in relationship to each other and who we are in relationship to the to the wider world. And I think Christianity does tell us some important things about who we are in those connections. You're listening to Angles on Science, Faith and Culture with Archbishop Philip Freer, Amy Bullman, Jacob Cumming and me, Chris Mulheron. And we're talking about science, faith and the moon. Archbishop, let's talk about the moon some more. Let's talk about moonshots, Anglican moonshots. Where would you like to see the Anglican Church in Victoria and Australia in 10 and 20 years' time? Where is the church going and why does it matter? Melbourne's growing at a phenomenal rate, and we'd really like to be present in those new communities as they're built. Uh, I'd like to see uh, the Anglican Church present throughout rural Victoria. So I've, I've got a strong sense of, um, of wanting to be uh, leading a church which is active. I always say to people in two things, communicating the good news of Jesus into a new generation. So great, we've got Jacob and Amy who have heard that good news and have received it and communicating uh, the gospel uh, across cultures into um, new people groups and across the differences of concepts and understanding we have. And I think if we do those things, I think it does matter because uh, I think that the, the church plays uh, an important role in uh, bringing, bringing people into uh, a, a deeper relationship with God. And I think that deep relationship with God is really enhancing of our interpersonal relationships and ultimately of our relationship uh, with the creation. So I think that that right understanding of who we are is uh, really enriching and I think it's enriching to people as individuals and, and Christians receive this as uh, coming most of all to be possible through uh, a relationship with uh, Jesus who is God's son and God has revealed as the one who would lead us into uh, all of that knowledge. So that matters. So for me, I know that I'm potentially going to go into science or I might go into research or something like that. How, how would you suggest that someone like me um, be uh, the best witness they can be in their field, specifically science? And so for you, also, what was your experience um, in going through university, doing a science degree there? 
um, but also being a Christian? Yeah, I don't think I, I found uh, the kind of the, the hard edges that you probably um, both experienced to some extent. Uh, and it's just interesting how our society has changed over a period of you know, 40 or more years. I was very optimistic about science, even though I've, I've later gone on to do, in a way, higher degrees in humanities. It just seemed to me, as a child growing up, that anything that really was true was science. So I think that you know, we are very much shaped by the culture we're in. And I think that there's something about us, you know, deeply following our own heart. And there is a, there is a wisdom I think God gives us uh, with, within ourselves if we, we stop and we're attentive and we hear it that can help us find, you know, our own individual way in amongst the, the various things that the society around us says, great, do that and ignore that. But, you know, we, 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 have, to, we have to have some experience. And that's why I think, you know, I, I favor an education system uh, that does give uh, students and exposure to a range of different things. And I think the Anglican schools that I often have the opportunity of interacting with are generally quite committed to that kind of principle of giving an exposure so people can have an awareness of, uh, of these things and not an inherent bias against some aspect or another. Do you think the busyness of life in um, this day and age, I guess, contributes to kind of some people's closed off mindsets to hearing the gospel like do you think because it seems that we have less time to kind of just stop and sit and think um that there's kind of a block there oh i think i think that's very true i mean i I often reflect back when i was young i'd often go out camping in the bush with older aboriginal people and um uh most of them uh, they would uh, you know just camping out in the bush often just with a swag, no canvas or anything. And, and that they'd, they'd often wake up during the night. And that often in the morning, they'd describe something that, you know, after watching the night sky, say, for an hour or so during the night, they'd describe they'd seen, you know, a meteorite or something or a shooting star. You know, that was very meaningful. Whereas how many of us ever sit and contemplate with any period of time the night sky? You know, what's the last time? When do we ever sit for, a, say, a half an hour and gaze at the night sky? Probably we mightn't have ever done that. I think we are living in a very constructed kind of a world where many things which have been uh, real and important and have framed the understanding, they've framed the narratives, they've framed framed the mythology and the self-understanding of countless humans before us, we don't actually get exposed to. <laughs> and, and, we, and we've got a kind of a, a strange cultural information that we are, in a sense, self-made people uh, you know, and who in a way and bizarrely are sort of told we're, you know, we're somewhat immortal, we'll, nothing will ever touch us, and we know that's tragically untrue, but we're in this kind of weird, weird denial when we see the fragility of human life around us all the time. But we are in a society, uh, and the information it gives us, because we're so immersed in it, we're not very critical about it. And I think that's one of the insights that people of faith can bring, something from a, you know, a bit of an outsider perspective. So whenever you get such a, you know, a tight consensus that doesn't seem to admit much difference, uh, outsider views are very rich. And I think that Christianity can bring that kind of outsider view to uh, the society that we live in. What would sort of be an example of bringing an outsider view uh, to our society? Well, I think there's, there's, uh, there's many. But um, you know, just if you look at the, the whole broadly the environmental question, uh, what does it mean for us to to recognise that we are we are created, you know, we are created beautifully and wonderfully, uh, but but other things are created as well, and we are not the ultimate creator. 
Whereas you look at a city like ours, it is, uh, it is. Uh, I often think if I'm driving in, say the the Western Freeway, you you come over the Pentland Hills, and there was this there's this great you know sort of mound of of Melbourne high rise buildings, and and if you live only in that mound, if you're only there. It looks like it looks like humans create the world. It looks like uh, you know it, it's all down to us. Whereas I think if you have experience in the outback or the bush or the sea, you kind of have a different feeling. You feel if you've been out out, out at sea when the sea is rough, you think, "Well, I'm a pretty fragile little thing here. I, I might I, I mightn't last the next half hour." And I've had that that experience of being in storms at sea. You think this is you know I'm very fragile. I'm not I'm not the center of everything. And so I think that's an outside of you, and it's. Um, uh, it's it's strangely, uh, you know, not in in the world of um, just. I look at the advertising, and I look at the, I suppose the the priority of entertainment and uh, an aspiration that people have, and it is very much about a self constructed world in which we're at the centre. And often we're told that, you know, you matter most of all. Could you speak a bit about um, other subjective experiences, such as beauty, and what does Christianity have? to offer, um, say, about beauty or the beauty of science um, as opposed to just a purely naturalistic worldview? Uh, the whole um, journey of, uh, of um, Christian art, uh, architecture, all trying to convey something of that sense, something which locates us in connection with a transcendent, beautiful other, powerful other, uh, all-knowing other, but not not to the extent of extinguishing who we are as an individual, as small as we are, but but saying even though that's true, that in a, a way that is so wonderful, God values each of us uh, so much that 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 what happens in the giving of His Son and the death of His Son uh, is as immediate for us as if we we're the only person there, uh, and that God's relationship with us even though God might have a relationship with millions of people, but the relationship has any of us individually is as significant as if we were the only person to be concerned. And I think that's one of the uh, the great framing things that, that Christianity brings. And then uh, as we apply that to others, it, that gives us a, a very important take on the um, the character and the dignity of the life of others and then the life of us collectively. So I, I think what you're naming is a really important reality and it's about the the transcendence that um that that generally catches us and gives us a, a powerful sense of um who, both who god is as this transcendent other but who god is immediate and personal with us and on that note i think it's time to wrap up this first episode of angles on science faith and culture Thank you so much. First to our guests, the Most Reverend Philip Freer, Archbishop of Melbourne, Primate of all the Anglican Church in Australia. Amy Bullman, Year 12 student and enthusiastic young Anglican. And Jacob Cumming, science student and avid reader of theology. Thank you all for appearing on our new pod show. It's been a complete pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you to our audience, which of course is an act of faith at this stage because we don't have any idea if anyone will actually listen to our fascinating angular ramblings about science, faith and culture. So, let me ask a favour of the intrepid listener who has got this far. Will you please shoot us a line? A very brief line is fine, telling us what you thought and telling us what you would like to hear in future episodes of Angles. You can send an email to us at melbourneangles 
at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at Melbourne Angles. Please do just tell us your thoughts. And just repeating those contact details where you're going to send us your brief feedback, you can email or Facebook us using Melbourne Angles, all one word, at Facebook or to Gmail. We look forward to being with you next time when we do some more angling.